Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, today's message is entitled, Securing Joy in Christmas Chaos 2020. I laugh because many of my pastor friends and many leaders that are Christian leaders in this time of the year, in the fall of 2019, declared that they were going to name the year 2020. Here's what they were going to do. They were going to name it the year of vision. And then they went blind. Because this year has been everything but the year of vision. It has been the year of social unrest, political unrest, revision, division. And it suffice to say nobody saw what was coming but God. Say that with me, but God. You got to remind yourself of that. Fox News doesn't know what's happening. CNN doesn't know what's happening. Okay, MSNBC doesn't know what's happening. And I hate to tell you this, Aunt Clotilde doesn't either. Your cousin from Bro Bridge who knew somebody in the Secret Service doesn't either. But God does, and he is in charge. And I have, I have an uncertain certainty. You know what that means? I don't know what's coming next, but I know who's in charge. I know who's in charge. You might feel like no one has ever experienced anything like this. I know for me, I've been thinking about this. Maybe you have too. I think God's Christmas present to me is going to be this. After Christmas, we'll just have six days more left in 2020. That's my present. Maybe you feel that same way. And though you might feel like everybody who's gone through this with you that no one's ever experienced in history anything like this before, well, it's just not true. Matter of fact, one of my spiritual mentors used to say this, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Solomon said it like this in this book right here, the wisest man that ever lived. He said, there's nothing new under, there's nothing new under the sun. So that means that if you are experiencing something right now and there's nothing new under the sun, maybe you're going through marriage challenges. You're not the first one. Maybe you got a child that's demon possessed. I promise you, you're not the first one. Maybe your job has been cut back. Maybe things are difficult. Maybe your candidate for president didn't win. Hey, y'all, we lived through Jimmy Carter. We can live through anything. But here's what I want you to know. There is someone who is in charge and there is someone who is in control. And what you and I are experiencing is not new. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a great division. Political, religious, economical. There were 400 years where the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Grecians, and then finally the Romans ruled over God's people, the Jews. They put leaders in charge. They were called Herods. Herod wasn't a name. It was a position, like like president or governor or the, the mayor. 
a Herod, which when you see that name in the Bible, when you're reading the Christmas story, that is a position. And what they would do is the Romans would get Herods that were Jews religiously, but they'd sold out their commitment to God to be loyal instead to government. Does any of that sound familiar? And it was through them, they would keep the Jewish people in check. They would make sure there was no uprisings, no insurrections, no marches in protest. Meanwhile, the Jews were praying. They were praying that God would send them a deliverer politically. One that would ride in on a white horse and overthrow the Romans and put them in charge. And instead of a hero riding in on a white horse, They had a suffering savior who rode a donkey and died on a cross. Still the plan to deliver just a different way. We've got to be careful that we don't try to ever make the world's plan God's plan and try to interpret what God is doing through what the world is doing. Instead, we look at this and through this we see what's happening in the world. If that's good, you can clap right now. That will make me feel much better. Thank you. You're building my self-esteem, which as you know, I don't have much of. And it was in this particular environment with political chaos, uprisings, all of this economic challenges that our story takes place 2,000 years ago in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 where a 12-year-old Jesus is the subject of the story. Here's what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents, say that with me, every year. One more time, every year. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Remember that. You're gonna, that that's really significant. And Jesus was 12 years old. That's significant too. They attended the festival. What's those next two words say? As usual. This was just a usual thing. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him. What? At first, they didn't miss him. Because they... They what? They assumed. Say that with me. They assumed. They assumed he was among them with other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back. Say that with me. They went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. And three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother Mary said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why didn't you need to search? Jesus answered. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's house or in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. It's interesting that this is, Jesus was obedient. There's only three times we actually know about Jesus throughout the course of his life. There's his birth. There's this this story you're going to read today. There's a time when Jesus turned water into wine, the Cajun miracle. And then after that, there's very little that we know 
until he begins his ministry at age 30. So from his birth to 30, we know three events. Today's is one of them. But it says he went home and he was obedient to his father and his mother. And I thought that's really interesting. Why did it say that? Because what's unusual for a teenager is to be obedient. That's unusual. For a teenager to want to leave their parents, that's normal. Jesus was doing what he was doing in obedience to God's plan for his life. But here is my question to you. How could you lose Jesus in a religious celebration? How? Could you have the most important religious spiritual figure in all of history that all of mankind is waited for? And how could you lose him? Prophets foretold his life. Angels announced his birth to Mary and Joseph. Wise men confirmed to Mary and Joseph who he was. Simeon and Anna, these two old people that came in the day was being circumcised and said, God told us we would see the savior of the world before we died. We're ready to die. They were given the responsibility, Mary and Joseph, of being guardians of the Christ, the Savior of the world, and they lost him. Imagine losing Jesus. Imagine losing Jesus. First, why were Mary and Joseph and Jesus in Jerusalem? Because they were commanded to be there by God. Deuteronomy chapter 3, or chapter 16 tells the story. Three times a year, All your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. At the feast of unleavened bread, that's where they were, that's a part of Passover. At the feast of the weeks and at the feast of the tabernacles. So they were commanded by God to go three times. In other words, this is just like, well, Mardi Gras coming. Okay, get the beads ready. Okay, hey, it's, it's time for Christmas. Okay, pull out the tree, get all the lights ready. Oh, it's Easter. Okay, get, every, get, get the baskets, get everything. It was a typical thing. What was different this year is, is that Jesus was 12 years old. And at 12 years old, every Jewish young man, our age of accountability is 18. At 12 years of age, you became a son of the law. And from that point on, you were required to live all the requirements of the law. That was the first time Jesus went at 12 years of age where he would become a son of the law. And here's the way they traveled. Obviously, it was rural areas, and so everyone of families and relatives in the region would travel together. The first people that would leave was the older people and the, children, and the mothers and their young children. Men would stay back, get everything together. They would ultimately pass up the women and children and elderly people, and set up camp so that by the time they got there, everything would be set up. So you had this huge caravan of people. And it was during that time that they lost Jesus. How did they lose Jesus? I think it's important for us to learn so that we don't do the same thing. The first thing is they were distracted by others. They were distracted by others. Are there some distractions going on now? We can look at what's happening politically. We can look at what's happening economically. And then we can get down to our personal lives. Are they coming over for Christmas again? I don't like them. Imagine the caravan. Do we have to travel with the Boudreaux again? God, I don't like their kids. Why do they do that? They were distracted by this. Here's the second thing. 
They were caught up in planning of the celebration. When you went up for Passover, there were certain things that you had to bring. You had to bring an animal. There was all kinds of different religious exercises that you had to go through, and they were making sure all of those things were taken care of. Here's the third thing. They took their eyes off of Jesus. They took their eyes off of Jesus. Is it possible to be in the middle of Christmas and take your eyes off of Jesus? Here's the next thing. They assumed he was among them. Listen carefully to me, church. Jesus will never be the assumed guest at your house. Never. Jesus only goes where he's preferred and invited and honored. I'll give you one better than that. I only go where I'm preferred, invited, and honored. So I know for fact Jesus expects more than that. How can you and I keep keep from Christmas chaos? How can we keep from losing Christ in the middle of Christmas? I want to give you three strong practical points today I think that will help you. And for many of you, it's going to change your Christmas forever. Here's number one. Remain with your eyes focused on him. Remain with your eyes focused on him. As a matter of fact, that phrase that we read about their journey was every year. Every year. Say it with me, every year. You know what? Ritual produces routine. You ever just go through the routines? Get up and go to church. Why? Because we go to church on Sunday morning. That's what we do. Get up. Let's go Christmas. Why we go Christmas? Because that's what we do. It's Christmas. Pull out the tree. Pull out. And do you know what I've discovered? When ritual produces routine, sometimes we lose the why behind the what. Sometimes we lose the why behind the what. During this season, this is going to be an opportunity for you to stop along the way, first beginning with your husband and wife or if you're a single mom, starting with your children and beginning to explain the why behind the what. John Maxwell says it like this, the way you do it is the way you view it. The way you do it is the way you view it. It is our responsibility to let those that are with us know the why behind the what, because the truth is nothing is seen clearly unless it's seen from Jesus's perspective, not disappointments, not setbacks, not even death, much less Christmas. Hebrews 12, two says this, read it with me, fixing our eyes on, it's real hard to lose something if it's the main focus. It's real hard. How many of you have ever tried to diet? Raise your hand. How many of you know dieting in South Louisiana is like demonic? It just is. You go, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just go down here. I'm going to go down to the grocery store and I won't be able to see any food. And then you walk into Earl's and they got the best plate lunch you've ever seen in your whole life. And it just kind of drags you over there. <laughs> you, you, you can't go, you can't go, you can't go anywhere. You and I have to fix our eyes on Jesus and make it our main focus. And if we don't, the natural given desire is like a diet. Everything around you will cause you to fall away from it. It will. You know what's interesting? The three most important relationships of our lives and the most significant ones are the ones we're most tempted to take for granted. Our relationship with God, 
our relationship with our mate, and our relationship with our children. How many have ever looked at your mate at the end of a week and went, we haven't talked this week and you've been sleeping beside him? Because you just assume because you're there, there's communication. And we must make sure at those moments we don't allow this to become just another ritual. Here's the second thing. Remind others daily. This thing as usual what, what, what do I mean by that? We need to make sure that Christmas is sacred and not secular. Let me explain that. You, you can do what I did. Say, Siri, what's the meaning of the word secular? You know what it means? Without spiritual or religious significance. Listen carefully to me. It's not Walmart's job to make sure Christ is in Christmas. It's not the mall's job to make sure Christ is in Christmas. It's not Costco's. It's not Dick's Sporting Goods. It's not even the dollar store. God bless its holy name. It's not the restaurant. It's not the city. It's not the parish. It is the responsibility of every born-again, blood-washed child of God to make sure that Christ is the center of Christmas. We get mad at Sears when you ought to be mad at yourself. Oh, they're going bankrupt. I'm sorry, Sears. Remind others constantly. We, 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 take, it, we take it so for granted. I, that, wouldn't it be great if instead of just saying Merry Christmas, which I think you need to say early and often, if you said, Mary, a virgin woman had a baby. A what? Mary, a virgin woman, had a baby, and it was God. Because what we are celebrating today is not a great day by a great teacher. We are celebrating the day that a virgin gave birth to God himself. To God himself. Here's the third thing. Remember who is the center of the celebration Here's what it says. At first, his parents didn't miss him. Why? Because when he's not first, then anywhere else you put him is a missed spot. If he's not first, any place else you put him, you miss the spot that he belongs. Do, do you know what the irony of all of this is? What was this holiday call they went to? What was this religious celebration called? Say it loud. Do you know what the story of Passover is? It's when Moses came with 10 plagues sent by God and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he sent nine plagues. And each time Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let him go. And then after the plague was removed, he said, I'm not going to let him. And finally, God said to Moses, I'm going to send this 10th plague. And when I send this 10th plague, he's going to let him go. He'll let y'all go. Here's the plague. The firstborn of every living creature is going to die from Pharaoh's house, which is his heir, all the way to every animal. But there's one way the children of Israel, my children, the Jews, can be spared. Have them take and kill a lamb, 12 months or younger, without spot or without blemish, and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door entrance of their houses. 
and then share the meal with their neighbor and make sure they put blood on the entrance of their house. And tonight at midnight, when the death angel passes over, everywhere the blood of the lamb is applied to the door, the firstborn will be spared. Jesus came walking up to John when he was 30 years old, about to begin his ministry. And John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They lost the Lamb at Passover. The very celebration that he was to be the center of. Have we lost the Lamb? Have we allowed Amazon, our children, our desires, our need, commercialism? It is time for us as the church to stand and say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold Him that takes away the sin of the world. Christ is Christmas. If there's no Christ, there is no Christmas. You can have presents. You can do all these things. As a matter of fact, I got a question for you. Look right here. Whose birthday is it anyways? Whose birthday is it anyways? Imagine going to a party where the person you're there to celebrate gets no gifts, just all of his friends do. You'd walk away going, that was the weirdest party I ever went to. What happened? Everybody got gifts, but the guy whose party it was. Listen carefully to me. Christmas is the only birthday, pres- birthday celebrated every year where the birthday boy gifts no gifts at all. Pastor, how can I put Christ in the center of my Christmas? Many of you grew up like me. You know what Christmas happened? Was it my house? I, here's my Christmas. When I met Michelle, here was my Christmas. My mom owned a bar and it shut at two o'clock in the morning. Now my mama was about five, six. She probably weighed about 150 pounds. She had about a 42 inch chest and she carried a pistol down there and money. If you wanted money, go, Mama, could I have some money? She go, yeah, just a minute. How many of you ever had one of those? Mama, yeah, it was nasty, but they spent it. Nobody knew. I didn't tell people where it came from when I bought stuff with it. <laughs> we, my, they would close, close my mom's bar, two o'clock in the morning, and then we would all go to my mom's house. Now, these Mexicans had been drinking since early in the night. So you can imagine what it was like. And the first time I was so proud, I brought Michelle there. And, you know, we, we didn't go to the bar. We just went straight over to the house. And my sisters would always show up with some different guy every year. So I began buying Bibles and they would just have no name. It was just a generic Bible. And we would get Bibles. And three years into that, when on one particular year, they gave unclothed clocks of women to all the men. I looked at Michelle and said, we're not going anymore because we'd stay there till about 3.30 in the morning 
and then drive from Houston all the way to Lafayette and get to Michelle's mom and dad's. And so when my children, Jacob Jr. was probably about three or four years old, we never went back for Christmas like that again. We'd go at another time, but we wouldn't go there. Sometimes you got to do that too. Sometimes you got to draw some boundaries. And so uh, we, we, we would go to Michelle's mom and dad. It was an entirely different world. As a matter of fact, they set and established amazing traditions that not only altered their life. I, when I, first time I went to her house, I was 19 years old. We got married, I was 23, so 24, 25. I'm now 62 years old. Those things that I picked up then shaped everything Michelle and I would do. And now with me in my 60s and Michelle in her late 30s, It's Sunday in the last service. I got to be nice. Anything could happen. It is Christmas. We began doing things that literally shaped the lives of our children. And now our grandchildren. So many of you grew up with a tradition like mine. How many of you Remember when you were very lost, raise your hand. How many of you still have a family that's very lost? Raise your hand. How many of you for Christmas, they drink a lot of alcohol? You know, I'm always amazed. You, you, you tell Cajuns around here, it's Christmas. Go here, here's a little Jack Daniels. I want you to get drunk for Jesus on his birthday. <laughs> Jesus wants you to have a hangover on Christmas morning. Think of all the dumb and stupid stuff we do that is so far from Jesus and that grieves him and that hurts him and is such a false representation of him. And then we call that Christmas. There is no Christmas without Christ in the center of it. You might have a celebration. You might give gifts. You might have a tree. You might have life. That's not Christmas till Christ shows up. So here's some practical things that I want you to do to help remember who it is. Number one, be extraordinarily generous. Be generous. How many of you know people that are tight? Raise your hand. I will never let a tight person pay for my meal. Never. There's two things about God that are always amazing. Number one, he forgives anyone who asks and loves people I don't even want to see. Here's the second thing. He is so generous. When you were partying and waking up, throwing up on yourself, he gave you light, sun, breath, provision, protection. You could have died in that state. But he was giving you the same glorious things he was giving other people that loved him, served him. God is generous. Be generous. Be generous. If you go to a restaurant, be generous. That person there, that waiter or waitress is probably trying to make 40 or $50 a shift to cover their family. Be generous. When you're in line, when you're in line, especially... White people here? Okay. I'm right in the middle. Okay. 
buy stuff for people that would never even think that you would. If you're in line and you see somebody that looks like he got pierced ears and his tattoos have tattoos and he has earrings and then his tattoos have earrings. Buy their coffee. Pay for their meal. And tell them God bless you and Merry Christmas, a real Christmas. Because he's generous. He's generous to all of us. Be generous. Here's the next thing. If you have young children, bake a birthday cake for Jesus. How many of you mamas do that? That's a good practical way of reminding young children who it's about. It's not about them. Make a birthday cake for Jesus. It's such a great, awesome tradition. Third, say Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas. Do you know that 10 years ago in England, it's much worse now, only one out of 20 cards, Christmas cards, even said Christmas? It's Mary Falls Day. I want to remind you again, it's not the responsibility of City Hall. It's not the responsibility of the government. And it's not the responsibility of companies that we buy from to remember Christmas. It's ours. And if we lose him, they will too. Here's the next thing. We've done this for years. Find a needy family. Many of you have already done that with foster care. But you know, ask around, find a needy family and bring them some gifts. Let your children do that. My children do this. Mark their lives where they go and we buy gifts and we give them the opportunity to go and to give to other people because once again, in this narcissistic world where everything they think is about them, it makes it about somebody else. And when your children walk into a trade or walk into a poor house, they walk in, they realize how blessed they are. How blessed they are. Do it. Do it. Here's the next thing. Read the Christmas story. When, when, when Christmas Eve at the Bodwin house was a huge tree, gifts everywhere, and Mr. Brian would take and he would open up that Bible to Luke chapter 2 and all the grandchildren. Yeah, you had to threaten them. Sure you did. Don't move. I'm going to beat you to death. I mean, you had to do all of that. I mean, yes, if you move, say one more thing, I'm taking your gift. Of course you did. It's kind of like, you know, family portraits, you know, all the threats you do at a family portrait. You ever see these pictures like everybody going, and behind the ground, their mother's going, if you move, so help me, I will kill you. How many of you know what I'm talking about if you've ever done a family picture? With six kids, I would literally, God would forgive me after the picture. But I said some stuff before the picture, I'm going to tell you right now, that Jesus wasn't pleased with, but he forgave me. And the picture looked nice when y'all got it in the mail. Merry Christmas from the Aransas. <laughs> Read the Christmas story. You know what's amazing? I have children that have gone on all their different journeys of their relationship with God. And I've seen my children in their 30s literally say, you know, I remember, I remember Grandpa opened up the Bible when I was a little boy. And I remember him reading to us. I could still see Grandpa reading that Christmas story, telling us, create traditions that stay with your children that are spiritual mile markers. And then here's the last one. 
And this is our favorite. Michelle, by virtue of her grandmother, who was just celebrated everything. She was the celebration queen. And then her mother. They have a table that seats 24 that's set for Christmas. But what we do is, first I got to start a little confession before we start here. How many of you have ever looked at your presence under the tree before Christmas morning? Raise your hand right now. God will kill you if you lie in church. Okay. So, you know, because children would do that, we started a long time ago, Michelle would take the children, she would make each one of them like different objects. Like one would be the tree or another one would be the horse. Christian would most often be the donkey. It was just, it was just different animals, okay? They, they, they would, they would, she would make them. And so they didn't know who was who. So one would be the duck, one would be the goose, one would be the horse, one would be the, they didn't know who was who. So they couldn't open up the presents to find out if it was their present. So then on Christmas Eve, of course, we come to Christmas Eve communion, just like we're going to have here. Then we go home and eat corn crab bisque, just like we do every time. Now we're going to read the Christmas story and follow the tradition that her, her father set for our grandchildren. And then that, morning, that night, she would make this big puzzle and riddle that would tell each of the children what they were once they put it all together. And so she hides a piece of the puzzle everywhere and each one leads to the next part and this one leads to that part and it's behind the toilet and over this and, you know, in your, in your draws draw and all these, all these different things. And then when they get it together, they realize who they are. Oh, I'm the duck. And they run and they go grab all the duck things and they put them here. Oh, I'm the goose. And they put all the goose things right here and they get them all. And now they're ready to open the presents. So again, they still think it's all about them. So we stop and we say, here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to say what they're thankful to Jesus for and all that he's done for them this year. And we're going to start with the youngest one and we're going to go to the oldest, which is going to end up being me. And if you go fast, I'll go very, very long. So the first one will go, I thank God for mama and daddy and my dog and my teacher and everything and just my cousin and my best friend and my blanket and my bun bun. And, and, okay, it was good. And the second one, they go all the way up. And then it would get to Michelle and then it get to me. And I would say every year, you want to know what I said every year? Yes. Will the rest of y'all want to leave? You would. Every year, I would look out and I'd say, I'm just so thankful that in 1971, God sent a white pastor to the Mexican ghetto of Houston to preach in my school and to lead me to Jesus so that I could be born again. And I'm grateful that he took me in and he raised me like his son for the next 10 years. And Jesus changed my life, kids. And if he hadn't done that, you wouldn't be having a Christmas like Granny and Gramps. You'd be having a Christmas like the one I grew up with. And I am so grateful that that man took me. And I just start sharing the whole story. Oftentimes weeping. 
And my children, some of them will be brave enough to go, Daddy, you keep saying the same story every year. Every year you say the same story. And I go, you're exactly right because I never got over it and I never want you to forget it. I never got over it and I never want you to forgive it. I never got over it and I never want you to forget it. It's our job to keep Christ in the center of Christmas. It's our job. When Jesus' mom and daddy lost Jesus, where did they go to look for him? They went back to the place they lost him. And that's where I want us to go today. Go back to that place. How many of you remember when you were born again? How many of you remember when the, 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 the joy of your sin being forgiven? The guilt being removed? Shame being removed from your life? Hey, let's go back there. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of the precious people that are here to share with them the great, great, great joy of not losing you in a celebration that's supposed to be all about you. Thank you that each person that sits here today is a light bearer of truth. And as they share these truths that have been shared with them today, they shed light in the middle of darkness in their workplace, with their neighborhood, in their friends, in their family, and extended relationships, in our community, and right in the center of their homes. Jesus, forgive us for the moments we've allowed you to be lost right in the middle of a celebration all about you. Forgive us, Lord. And then give us strength and wisdom and grace and generosity to see you lifted up again as the Christ of Christmas. In Jesus' name, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, what does it mean? Well, my birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, that I told you about when I pray with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab in my school to be born again. That day became my spiritual birthday. That day I was born spiritually and I've never been the same since. There's days I've struggled and there's days I've done well, but I've never been the same since that day. That's the day I was born again. You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Is that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. How can I do that, Pastor? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. He died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either you will or he did. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as you do that and turn away from sin, you are born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I may have been christened or baptized, but I've never been born again before. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. But you say, Pastor, today I want to be born again. I want to begin my spiritual journey today. I want to know God. 
If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you so that that would happen to you today. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. It's not an accident. You're not here by chance or by happenstance. God brought you here today. Two, nothing is an accident. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father praying for you, the Bible says, that today would be your day to become a born-again child of God. Three, if that's you, lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. One, two, three, four. Anywhere else? Five. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Okay, you can put your six. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these six, but I should have. I know I need to be born again. I've never prayed to be born again. I know I need to be born again. If you've already raised your hand, don't raise it again. But if you didn't, raise it and wave it at me right now and join these right now. I'm asking this last time. Yes, sir, I see that. Seven, eight, nine. All right, anywhere else? Okay, you could put your hands down. Church, let's pray out loud together with all of those that raised your hand. We're gonna join you in praying out loud. It's today you become a born again child of God. Let's pray out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. 